Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where it's a Star Wars week again. I almost said it's Star Wars week, but it's a Star Wars week because that's the way of the world these days. I'm it's Boyd, always I'm Star Wars week. It is with my co-host Beige that already it is interrupted. Still, yes, no, no <laughs> this is our intro now. Apparently, we we just talk over each other. Do more lightsaber sounds. Okay, very good. Um, <laughs> we're talking about The Last Jedi because we've both seen it. I've seen it twice because that's how my week went, and it was wonderful. We're going to start very, very high-level, non-spoilery. I will let you know before we get into any spoilers. So extremely, extremely high-level. Did you like it? Yes, I did. I don't understand people who didn't, so we're going to get lots of hate mail from this. But yes, I loved it. Very high level. I loved it, and it is my favorite Star Wars movie. That, okay, I, that's that's the end of our very, very high level. We're going to still stay spoiler-free and talk a little bit about the movie, but we're going to talk around everything important, so you can keep listening, I promise. Let's get into, like, people talked a lot about The Force Awakens being too similar to A New Hope, and now yes. people are complaining that The Last Jedi is too different, and it's kind and of hilarious to me. It's so hilarious, and it pretty much exemplifies the culture of geekdom that I want no part of. And I completely understand there being criticisms about this movie. It is not perfect by any shake of uh, any way, shape, or form. Is this a perfect movie? But people who are angry at it and think like in order to show that they love Star Wars that they have to hate this one because it's different that kind of knee-jerk negativity has no place in my life it has no place in my fandoms honestly that I want I will just distance myself from that critique it and uh, like criticize it legit sure let's great but simply because it's too different no Mm -mm. yeah yeah I mean like the fact that it is taking the series to new places is what I really, really loved about yes. this movie. And I just feel like if Star Wars doesn't evolve and change, it will end up being a shell of its former self. And it will and just it will grow stale. And it I don't want to like dunk on the MCU, but if you guys have noticed, I mean you you have like two years worth of our conversations here to listen to. Go back two years and like I was watching every MCU movie ASAP, like the weekend it came out. And these days, like I'll just wait for it to come to video a lot of time. Like I'll I'll watch yeah. it at home. Like the MCU is feeling stale for me. And that's Disney. That's Disney owning a property that's a huge mega property and growing it into an expanded universe. And that is what they are starting to do with Star Wars. And I was so afraid that we would get there with Star Wars, that Star Wars would be yes. stale. But this movie made me believe that that won't happen. Like, this is the first time that I feel like I don't have to worry about it. Like, they are going to take risks and they are going to evolve this series. And that's what I really, really wanted out of it. And I am hesitant on that because I didn't like Rogue One. So for me, it feels like it's just one of those cookie cutter, throw out a Star Wars movie, kind of like they're doing with some of the Marvel movies. And I'm expecting the same out of Solo, given the kind of development that it's had. But this one really kind of put me in a different place because it does feel like it's evolving the series. That if they're going to do their new stories and as they're moving forward out of the established properties that both Rogue One and Solo are in as they're creating new things maybe this is where this series takes on a completely new identity which will make people angry but for me I love that it's possible because 
I loved the old novels, and some of them I loved, and some of them I thought were terrible, but it was still the Star Wars stuff that I loved. Yes, yes, and I mean, I was talking to friend of the show Tam a lot about this this last week. You can go listen to him on AgriChat. He's on there almost every week, not every week, but most weeks, and a lot of his thoughts lined up with mine, but it was nice to hear it from like a slightly different perspective, but still kind of come to the same, like, I love this for what it did place. You know, that's where we were yeah. landing. So he said a couple things that really resonated with me, like the fact that they could do a straight trilogy remake, like The Force Awakens proves that like they know yes. how to make a Star Wars movie. They can hit all the beats. They can update it for modern audiences. And what they're doing now makes me love it even more because they're pushing past that. Like this movie lets you know really quickly that it's not what you're expecting. Yeah. Um, and it kind of asks that you roll with it, which he was equating back to like Empire, right? Like Empire Strikes Back wasn't what people were expecting at the time. And this is the modern version of that. But because we live in the time we do, it feels more extreme because we're in the middle of it, right? We don't have 30 yeah. years to look back on. Yeah, I mean, people were upset at Empire that the tone between Empire and A New Hope is so different. And they went in a much more serious uh, direction with it and a new hope was honestly kind of goofy throughout a lot of it and people who went in and you know i mean to fall back on the geek cliche of quoting clerks it ended on a down note and that's kind of where uh instead of ending on a down note the last jedi was just one long held down note yeah yeah you could see it that way um so i guess another thing we can say before we get into spoilers is that like I loved the pacing of this movie. I thought it was such good pacing. And I know you feel slightly different, but like for me, modern movies are a lot of the time there's so much like wasted space in them. And those of you who've been listening for a while know how much that bugs <laughs> me as an editor because I see things that could cut out that could make it like snappier and they could make it faster paced. And, um, you know, I, I can watch most movies at least one time and really appreciate them for whatever filmmaking choices they choose. You know, whether it's slower paced or not, whether it's like a tone piece and it's really it's slow. I mean, slow is, you know, some movies are just paced slow. I can do yes. that on the first watching. The thing is, if a movie is slow paced, I'm never going to watch it again. Like I, I could do once and yeah. sometimes not even that. But if a movie is like, I almost want to say an unrelenting pace, it works for me so much better. And I like that a lot about this movie. Like it never really stops. There's not a whole lot to cut out if you did have to edit it. And I want to talk about like there is I could make an argument for cutting some things, but I'll talk about that once we get into spoilers. Right. And with this one, the pacing is good, but I don't think it's great that it's almost got great pacing because it's relentless, like you said, but it's so messily relentless that it feels like it's trying to get from point A to point B without really explaining why you're going there sometimes. And that's a filmmaking choice. And that's definitely a Ryan Johnson movie choice. Like that's how he does things. It's kind of like when you're watching Prisoner of Azkaban, the third Harry Potter movie, where Alfonso Cuaron hates explication. And so he he goes through, and if you've never seen that movie, there's so much that you, or if you've never read the book, when you watch that movie, there's a lot that's not explained. I feel like The Last Jedi is almost like that, where it's Ryan Johnson doing that and really pushing forward and just not taking the time to reflect on anything, I guess is probably the way that it makes me feel like he's not reflecting on it. it it's happening. And then you're forced to move forward. And see, I kind of like that. I, I like when the movies paint with a broad brush and don't get into the details because like 
we know the extended universe is there, especially with Disney's money behind it. Like, we are going to get comics. We already have comics. We have tons of novels already, and there's only going to be more. Like, we're going to get games. We're going to get extra media. I mean, there are TV shows already, and there's more TV shows in the works. Like, these stories, these explanations will get told. That's not what the main movies are have ever really been about. I mean, you go look at the old expanded universe and how much it filled in, and the thing is, there's so much distance from the original trilogy that people forget that. It's like, oh, yeah, you know all the little details about everything and every scene because it's been 30 years, which close to 40 years now. It's been a long time. There's been time for that to just kind of settle into like the, you know, cultural knowledge. And we haven't had that yet. This movie's been out for a, not even a week as we're recording this. I like that. I like that it's the broad strokes. I like that it doesn't get hammered like or not hammered down, but like dragged down by the details. Right. Um, I appreciate that as a filmmaking choice. And I do feel like this one handles that kind of pacing a lot better than, say, Age of Ultron, where this one doesn't leave me exasperated with it. I feel like it's a little rushed, but I'm not frustrated at any point when watching it. Yeah, and something else, like, along the lines of this pacing and so much information, but not having the details in there, um, this is the first Star Wars that I felt like I actually needed two viewings of it to really... Not to understand it, but to come up with like all of my opinions fully formed about it. So that makes sense. I watched this movie on opening night, and then the next day I had some PTO because my daughter had a school thing in the afternoon. So that morning I got my kids on the bus, and I was like, I have four hours free. Um, and I couldn't stop thinking about, you know, The Last Jedi. So I went back to the theater and I watched again. So within like a, I don't know, 16 hour period, probably, I watched the movie twice. And that second viewing really helped me form a lot of my opinions of it and like solidify some of the things that I walked out of there the first time thinking, but not really sure of. Does that make sense? It does. And I've wanted to do the exact same thing and just haven't had time to see it a second time where I thought about going and actually seeing it tonight after we finish recording this for a second time. It just depends on when we finish, actually. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll keep pushing ahead then. Um, This is where the high level non-spoilery thoughts end. So here's your spoiler warning um i will probably try to put it in the episode title also so yes we recommend it we like it there's some of our high level thoughts uh we're not immediately jumping into deep spoilers but we are going to just talk freely from here on so this is your warning last chance pause it come back if you haven't watched it okay (laughs) um i I, so i wanted to talk before we get into the nitty-gritty i want to talk about the themes of this movie because yeah normally i don't step back and ever think about the theme of a movie because i just don't care but this felt like oh oh just right in the heart just like stab me i'm just gonna stab your english teacher heart yeah i know it's like oh like it's just not something that like here's the thing I can disconnect my mind enough from film because I only did a little bit of filmmaking. I did tons and tons of video work. I did tons of live production. I can never get out of my own head when I'm watching TV or live productions or any of the stuff that I was part of. But filmmaking, like storytelling like this, I can at least disconnect from. So I try not to overanalyze it because I never want to ruin that for myself. This is a movie that I walked away from and I was like, what was that about? Like, what was the high Mm -hmm. level... What were the themes like? What Because there were things throughout it, and I really put some thought into it. So I think overall, failure is the overriding theme. And yeah. along with failure, there are touches of like how success can also be a failure and how failure can also be success and how things can lead to mixed up and like 
just mixed results like life is messy in a way yeah and what i like the most probably more than anything else is that you can make the absolute right choice and bad things can still happen yes that uh, that it's not as though everything is you make the right choice that in any given situation there's a right and a wrong choice because it's not and when they had uh dj the slicer when he was like you know you uh, how, you know i can't believe you would do this you know how uh, how can you think you're making the right how do you know you're making the right choice he's like i don't and it's like that's the way it is like you you don't know and i really did appreciate them really tackling it where it's not even just like they touch on it in a few scenes it is essentially every single scene in this movie every choice that is made you can see that there are real consequences for every action yeah and it's like they they did play around in shades of gray in this movie and that was I told you before we went in, that is the one thing that I want out of this movie. I want them to start getting into the areas of gray. And it didn't end up necessarily the way that I thought it would. But, like, we didn't get a gray Jedi, right? We didn't get a gray Force user. But then again, that's kind of extreme. Maybe at some point down the line, it did do what I needed it to do. It started talking about those issues. It started to get into those gray areas. It stopped equating the light with good and the dark with bad, yeah. which is something that I thought was really interesting. Like they talk about the light being in somebody or sensing the dark, but they never directly say, oh, it's the dark, it's evil or it's the light, it's good. They talk about balance. And I like that. Like there should be balance in the universe, you know, and this movie starts to like get to that point. It doesn't get all the way there, but it's enough in the right direction that I feel really good about it going into the future. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, they still have it mostly being Luke and some of the older characters who are scared of the dark. I hate to say it, Luke Skywalker is scared of the dark, but I mean, when Ray is reaching out, like he sees the the fear that he, you see the fear in him that when he saw the darkness in, in Ben and when he sees Ray going toward it, that he is the one who is equating it to darkness, not necessarily the narrative itself, or to evil. That it's not necessarily the narrative equating it with with evil. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess there's something in there, too, about, like, with some of the older characters, but some of the new characters, too, it kind of ties into redemption as a theme. Yeah. But in an interesting way, where it's like... I don't even know. I don't know my thoughts on this, but I know that redemption is something they touch on in a bunch of different ways from a bunch of different angles. And it's not as though it's the one angle of redemption that we always see. It's not the it's not the the Darth Vader redemption that he was terribly evil. He he repented of his sins and suddenly he is a good person again and, and goes off into the light. It's, it's a, it's a more nuanced redemption of, of being able to atone when it's not necessarily going to make a difference to anyone, but you. Yeah. And I mean, talking about that, like typical redemption story, like I wanted to ask you because I'm actually not that versed in like, well, I know what a three act structure is, but I'm also not great at like, like I said, stepping back and analyzing a movie from the technical perspective on purpose. I don't want to do that most of the time. I wanted to ask you, this doesn't feel like a three-act structure. And it felt like there were two movies worth of story in this movie. Like, we got enough scenes. Okay, here's the thing that I've been saying to people. It feels like there are four or five scenes in this movie that in any other Star Wars movie would be the scene. You know, the one that you walk out of the theater talking about. Like, the lightsaber fight at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Or, 
you know, the confrontation in the throne room at the end of Return of the Jedi. Like, there is a scene in almost every other Star Wars movie that is the scene you talk about. There's like four. There might be five. There's there's a bunch of those in this movie. And it just doesn't feel like a typical movie structure. And I kind of like it. It surprised me. It really surprised me how there's not necessarily an arc in this movie. That, that usually, you know, you have the rising action. You have everything moving forward. And while everything was moving the narrative forward there were these moments of motivation there were inciting incidents that that just kept moving forward i mean rose her sister dying that pushed her forward you see all of this stuff you you see how finn is uh, leaving and why he's leaving and like he he has these moments of of that he he knows what he has to do and it's not something that he's being driven that way i suppose rather than having forces act on him from the outside but it doesn't ever hit that point where we've not gotten to the uh, climax yet like this one is still climbing that's the that's the thing like the climax is actually going to come in act 3 where like Darth Vader saying, you know, I'm your father. That's like the climax of Star Wars that you you only go down from there. Like that is where everybody it is that, oh, no, what moment? And we haven't hit that yet. That yeah, that's we, good. I like that. It, it, it just felt weird. It doesn't feel like a typical structure of a movie, but in a good way. In, in a good, good way. way. I mean, yeah. you might be able to say that uh, that Luke dying at the end is that moment but i don't think it is like that really is not a a climactic moment that's almost a i'm trying to even think of the word to put it that's almost a uh just a subtle reflective moment in terms of the narrative that wipes everything clean and lets you continue moving forward to the climax yeah, and it's like it's a long movie. I mean, it's like a two hour, 30 minute runtime. It comes yeah. just a couple minutes short of the longest movie. I think I looked it up and I already forget which one that is. But like it feels like it has two movies worth of Star Wars in here. You, you Which know is I not mean? necessarily always a good thing. I thought it's about that always. while I was in the theater, and I'm like, man, they have crammed so much into this that uh, that I just don't know. And then as I fell in line with the movie and realized that I was okay with its messiness, that I was great with it because it meant that episode nine was going to be way more full than they would have been able to do otherwise it feels like a bunch of the stuff in this they could have easily pushed off to the next movie and i didn't know how i felt about it walking out of the theater the first time but on second viewing i am so glad that it covers all of the story that it covers like i i love it for that um the last theme that i wanted to touch on before we dive into more of the nitty-gritty stuff is like the expansion of the force like this really felt like Finally, you don't have to be a Skywalker to be special between Snoke and Rey. Like we don't ever like Snoke was set up as a big bad and then he just gets killed off. And that's fine. Like it's actually more interesting that way. Um, I want to talk about that scene in a little bit. But like Snoke was just never really explained. And I'm fine with that. Like the EU, it'll you know, the expanded universe will flesh him out eventually. I'm sure it will. But for the moment, like he's not that important. And the other thing is like he's not a clone of the Emperor, hopefully. You know, he's not yeah. like somebody that was from the original trilogy. He didn't have to be tied into a legacy. He was just like an evil Sith Lord. And then Ray is on the other side of that. Like she has a scene where it's basically, 
you are no one. You come from nowhere. And in a way, that makes her become an audience surrogate in a way that we've never really had before. She's not part of a special bloodline. She just has a normal background. Like, any of us could be that, you know, and I, I like that. People are complaining about this. People are complaining about this a lot. And it's, they're calling her a Mary Sue because of this, and um, which makes me really irritated because, you know, this the, the idea of a Mary Sue is someone who is this absolute perfect embodiment of everything that the audience wants to be. And you say that she's an audience surrogate, which is true, but that does not necessarily mean that she's a Mary Sue. The two things are not not like the same in any way where Luke Skywalker is way closer to a Mary Sue than Ray is where it is the you know it's the audience's uh the representation of everything that the audience wants to be I mean that is that's essentially what a Mary Sue is it's like uh if you you know when you see this and see it in a story it is the chosen one who can do everything who comes from nothing and has all of the powers and is better than everybody who has trained their entire lives for it okay. and uh, yep. it's like hey that's luke skywalker you guys that is literally what he is but ray is not that she she has a reason to be good at all of this stuff i mean anakin is a mary sue i read a really good it was either an article or a tweet and i don't remember which one it was talking about how anakin was a uh was spawned of the force repaired a robot on his own one entered and won a race that no other human is possible to win and won a space battle for the republic but before he was like nine years old before he was 10 and then went to become like the most powerful jedi and like sith lord that there was it's like you know that's a mary sue like okay. that's the literal definition of a Mary Sue, and then Ray having come from nothing, there are reasons that she's good at this stuff. That outside of being, you know, powerful with the Force, it's like she had to live alone on a desert planet and survive. So yes, she's very good with machines. It's like she had to live as a scavenger, so she is good with machines to break it apart and sell. And so it's people who are talking about her being a Mary Sue who fundamentally don't understand what the concept of either a mary sue or an audience surrogate is like they they are using these terms interchangeably when they are absolutely not yeah i mean i guess the main thing out of all of that that i walked away with is that like you no longer have to be a skywalker to be special and the force is finally opening up to everybody which it always was in the old expanded universe but it never yes. felt like that in the movies. If you watch the movies, you had to be special. You had to be part of a like unique bloodline or, you know, chosen by the Jedi Order. There was always something about you that was different. It wasn't just available to anyone. And this is jumping ahead a little bit to scenes I wanted to talk about. But that kid at the end yep. who uses the force to grab the broom, like the first time I saw it, I was like, that's kind of dumb. And then the second really? time, yeah, I, I felt like it was too cheesy. It was too over the top. I was like, why? I'm like, really? Really? And then after I had a night to think about it and like actually think about some of the themes here and the fact that a lot of this movie is trying to open up the force to the wider world and not right. just the Jedi, not just the Sith, not just the Skywalkers. After I had like internalized that and I went back the next day to watch the movie again, I love that. Like the way that it capped the movie with that kid summoning the broom with the force, just this slight, slight gesture really worked for me on second viewing. And it also works on a completely different thematic level of 
both within the narrative and without where Kylo is talking a lot about, you know, doing away with the past and moving forward and that uh, out with the old, basically. And it's setting up for there to be a new generation. And that's the same thing. Very meta in terms of, you know, getting rid of the old cast so that they can move on with the series with new characters, but also within the narrative that he's not the last Jedi, that even if he is that, that he can't be, I mean, Ray took the books and so she's going to learn all about this and it may be a different order, but uh, maybe a different name, but there is still another generation of force users who are going to be out there who are, who are Jediing it up, whether they're called Jedi or not. Well, I feel like that let the past go was also meta to all of the fans that are now disappointed yeah. in this movie. Like you had, like, if you just want the same Star Wars story over and over on an endless cycle, like they could have done that. And this movie shows they are not going to do that. And they're telling you to let go of that. Like, yeah. if you want that, just go watch episode seven on repeat. Like, it's there for you. It is fan service. It's like a warm, comforting Star Wars. Here you go. Here's a Star Wars. We know how to do Star Wars. Here's Star Wars for the modern age. It's it's there. It's The Force Awakens. Go watch yep. that again. This is telling everybody to like, okay, we're going to move on now. We're going to do something new. And I, I really like that. But I did want to talk about, like, the villains in general, but mostly yeah. Snoke and Kylo, because... It was interesting that as we learned more about Snoke's intentions, I was less and less interested in him. He was just kind of like, right. oh, okay, he's an evil emperorish guy again. He sits on a throne. He has a throne room. He has red armored guards. I'm like, okay, like this, I was really starting to feel like this is not the villain I want. And mm. then to get him killed in the middle of the movie, it's it's like, it's not quite the exact middle but it's close to the middle of the movie he just gets killed by kylo yep. which is a great scene um that we can talk about in a bit but i feel like kylo is such a more interesting villain and yes he works for me sometimes and he doesn't work for me other times well snoke is one of those characters that i want to know more about and it's not in terms of him and i don't care about him i don't care about him as a person i want to know about how he interacted with this backstory i want to know exactly why people keep referring to him get basically getting a hold of ben and how he influenced him and where he came from and why he was able to get his clutches on Ben Solo, but I don't care about anything other than that. I don't really want he's not interesting like you said he is he is the emperor surrogate that we have in this and Kylo Ren is a failed Darth Vader that they've done so much more with Darth with him as a villain in this than was possible to do in the old movies with Vader because we're able to see and we've talked about this when the Force Awakens came out you guys can go listen to our Force Awakens discussion in the archives here but we discussed how he was more interesting because it gave a motivation and you got to see a lot more uh, a lot more personality in the villain in that you know he thinks he's doing right he 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 is a person he has his own motivations here and you don't see that with snoke he is a one dimensional character and that's just not interesting yeah and like i want to learn that stuff about snoke also but i don't want that in the movie like i don't want them to spend okay. any time in a movie talking about that i am so glad that they didn't touch on it at all like it's fine. They'll backfill that with a novel or a comic or something. Like, we'll find out that eventually. That'll come. But 
it didn't need to be here and i'm glad that they didn't do it here because he's such a like you said he's a one-dimensional character and in the end he's actually not that big of a part of the narrative in this movie he doesn't need to be no. um and one of the cool things that i like seeing on screen with snoke and kylo is that we finally saw that traditional sith path play out in front of us on the big screen we've yes. never actually seen that before where the apprentice kills the master to become the master like it's been talked about but it hasn't happened on screen where we could see it yeah where they become the master i mean we see vader kill the emperor but it kills him as well so he doesn't necessarily become the one to keep moving forward it kind of right. ended that line so this one you see you see him become the the big bad you see him become the villain the master and it's honestly a little terrifying because it's an immediate thing whenever they finish that up and he asks ray to like join him and rule the galaxy it's not him going and like being subtle he's he's you see him grow and it's almost frightening because of how he grows yeah it's so the thing is i was thinking about um vader like throwing the emperor at the end and that's that's his redemption arc that's not yes. actually him trying to become True. the master right which is yeah. i think what i was trying to get at like yes he yeah, does kill okay. he kills his master but he doesn't kill his master to get the power to become the master he's killing right. him to save luke and then he gets redeemed and he dies like it, it, it's a different story beat completely Absolutely. whereas yeah. this time kylo does it with intention to become the master and be the only one who has that power you know and yeah. to take on a new apprentice immediately in ray and like that being said kylo works for me when he's quiet like when he is that cold logical just talking right he's like talking logically um through things he really really works for me as a villain he is fantastic when he's so good when he flips over into angry angry kylo it just doesn't work for me like really it no not at all like he's mad and i'm like oh you're just like a baby like and maybe it's because i have kids and i've seen kids throw temper tantrums for <laughs> years now it doesn't come off as menacing it doesn't come off as scary it exactly. just comes off as like dumb yes and for me that's why it works is because it shows that level of evil as being pathetic it shows that he is just a child that there's no that it is pure emotion and that there's no reason that you can't do anything with it because it is this kind of impotent rage that comes for no apparent reason and it shows that with ray her emotions that there's always you know movement behind it there's always motivation and, and she is trying to work toward an end and when she's frustrated think good things can come out of it or things can come out of it and with kylo you just see patheticness that yeah. when he's angry like for me that builds onto the character where i love him like you said quiet logical reasonable kylo he is a magnificent villain and you see that vader style of him but I think that the, it's that three-dimensional anger that, or that anger that brings out the third dimension in his character because you realize that, uh, that he's a person and uh, he, with him being that pathetic, that he is way less 
to look up to and kind of people would people always you know as a kid you want to be darth vader i mean everybody like plays a darth vader and like the scene at the end of rogue one vader is just awesome and you see that in kylo but it's always tempered by that by that patheticness it's like well that you're compensating for something and it it humanizes him far more than we ever got to see with vader or any of the other sauron or any purely bad villain which is why i think that i like him so much <sighs> So I think the reason it doesn't work for me is because his bouts of rage go on too long to the point where it's like a temper tantrum. Like if he used his rage in like small concentrated bursts, I think I could buy into it. But like in this movie, it like Kylo totally worked for me all the way through the end of the throne room scene. And then everything after the throne room scene, I was just like, it, it just didn't click with me as much as i think it should have probably um, okay. because it was like this sustained anger which i know is always kind of part of the dark side but i mean it, he would be more menacing and more interesting to me if he used his anger effectively does that okay. kind of make sense see and for me i that's what i like about it is that he's not using it effectively that okay, he's I just that. that he's just like trying he he's doing everything he knows how to do and he just can't get it yeah okay i i can see that side of it too um so the other thing that you wrote in here is knights of ren where did you go which yeah, I, mean, I think is a valid question like they mentioned like even you the master of the knights of ren and it's like they didn't even mention it like nothing we don't even see the scene in when luke and and kylo are like destroying the and when kylo's destroying the temple it's like where are all of these other people who are dressed up and it's like though to be fair that might not be that might not have happened then because like ray has been seeing the future and that could be something from episode nine that we're seeing and when he gets other sith apprentices or ren apprentices but it's like it was nowhere else. And I've seen some commentary that with them bringing back J.J. Abrams, we're going to see a lot more of this Knights of Ren. And I think the way that uh, somebody put it on the Internet is that J.J. Abrams is uh, going to make Knights of Ren a thing, whether we want him to or not. Yeah, I think that it could go one of two ways. It's either going to come back and be there in Episode 9 and be part of the story. Maybe not a major part, but it'll be there. Or they could just let it go and backfill it with the expanded universe, which I kind of hope right. they do that, honestly, but I don't know. I'm not holding out hope because Abrams is, we'll talk about that later. Like I, yes. I do want to talk about Abrams versus Ryan Johnson because there's some interesting stuff to talk about. Um, let's take a quick break for geeky offer of the week. We're not going to do geekery this week. There's too much star Wars to talk about. It's important. Um, but you guys can go to audibletrialcom slash geek to geek cast. My book recommendation this week, you can get a free book at Audible, by the way, um, is Canto Bite, which is the uh, casino world that we see in The Last Jedi, because I read that book right after I saw the movie, because I was in a very Star Wars mood. And it is basically a series of four novellas, and it's pretty good. It's pretty interesting. They have unique characters, which is nice to break out of having established characters so much in the current novels in the EU. Yeah, so I liked it. I thought it was worth worth your time if you're interested in novella length things and you want to learn more about kind of the universe but mostly about the planet and like the city of Cantobite and the casinos and all of that stuff around it i need to listen to that or read it one because it's that sounds interesting but it was my least favorite part of the movie and it wasn't for any other reason than i had no reason to care about that particular planet Okay, I want to talk about that. Hang on. We will get to that in a second. I got to finish the middle part of the episode first. 
I got to give a shout out to the rest of the network. <laughs> this time with true. Katie and Chelsea, they talked about feminist female Disney characters this week, and it was a really interesting listen. Um, Geekitude mm-hmm. with Joe Hogan, he talked about The Last Jedi, so if you want more The Last Jedi after this episode, go check that out. And we literally, just before this episode, recorded a special segment for the comic box where we are talking about Star Wars comics. So if you're interested in that, go check out any of the shows on the network. Okay, scenes to discuss do you want to talk about canto bite because i have thoughts about canto bite let's talk briefly about canto bite because i don't have a whole lot to say about it other than like it had some when they were on canto bite it had one of my favorite scenes um i loved the when bb8 uh had taken down the three guards all by himself like i adored that it was one of those things where it's like yeah i can see bb8 doing that uh where it was uh it was even one-upping a lot of the stuff that r2 did and like i i just really liked it other than that the rest of canto bite i didn't really feel as though it was anything special and i think it was it i think part of that is because it felt almost like the uh the prequels and just how extravagant it was and that's the point but i just had no reason to there was nothing terribly interesting about it okay so the thing with cantobite for me this is where my editor brain kicked in um and i was thinking about this is a long movie what could i possibly cut if i were the editor and the real answer here the only thing you can actually cut from this movie and still have the movie just work is basically finn and rose like yes. you could cut them out of this movie and lose almost nothing which means you can cut almost all of canto bite and be just fine it feels like they had too many characters because they're still whole, like handing over the baton from the old generation to the new generation and anytime you have too many characters there's going to be a couple that are left out um, yeah. and it definitely feels like finn and uh rose are the ones that get left out like and it makes it's just weird like they they get on a shuttle and they go to a planet to accomplish nothing, which is, I mean, the, it ties into the theme of failure and stuff, but that whole sequence doesn't really need to be there. And what really, yeah, what really gets me is that it doesn't need to be there and that it is fully a character development scene. Let everything about it just leads their relationship forward, which I'm all about. But in terms of a narrative perspective, there are better ways to do it where outside of just building on, oh, this is a failure as well. Like nothing within that added into anything other than Finn and Rose are great together. Yeah. And the thing is like, I like Finn and Rose. I like them as characters. I just wish they had given them something better to do in this movie. Yes, exactly. I, I felt like that more on the second viewing too. The only part of the movie that really, and again, I think over time I'll be fine with it. I'll be fine with all of Canto Bite and the decisions they made, but mm-hmm. where I'm sitting right now, that's the only part of the movie that felt like kind of a letdown to me. And it's not the characters because I actually do like those characters. I want to see them doing interesting things. I just don't think what they chose to have them do was very interesting in this movie. And that's kind of a Ryan Johnson thing that there is always one scene in a Ryan Johnson movie that feels just a little bit out of place. And in Looper, that was the way it was with uh, the, there was a Bruce Willis action scene where he just shot everybody up and it's like, well, okay thanks ryan johnson you just you did that one and then everything goes back to normal where this is that's kind of the way this one felt to me i was like i see you there ryan johnson i see what you did (laughs) okay um so a couple other scenes that i wanted to discuss for sure that bomber run to start it yeah 
that worked for me. I mean, right from the start where we have Poe and like sparring verbally with Hawks, that was funny. I laughed. I liked that part a lot. And that's kind of the movie saying this isn't going to be what you expect. Okay, so you liked that. I that did. You, okay, I, I, I thought... wasn't sure. I was very ambivalent the first time I watched it. But then after seeing the movie and then on my second viewing, it worked so well because that is right up front to let you know this movie is not going to be what you expect it to be. Okay, because I I was going in and the and I've like I said I've only seen it the one time, but going in I I was thinking about you whenever I was watching it because I can see you being put off so much by those uh, the amount of humor that was put into this movie, uh, and it wasn't necessarily so much that it was sight gags, but people were saying things very quippy, and I could see you being like, why would Hux be doing this with Poe? No, and I like quippy like that. humor. I like quippy humor a lot. I didn't know well. I know you do, but in Star Wars, I wasn't sure if like someone like Hux, like you would feel that was out of character. But I feel like they added to Hux's character a lot in this, where he wasn't just the uh, the lone terrible thing that uh, they did in uh, Force Awakens that made that I just truly hated. Yeah, no, I, I liked it because it told me it, it kind of jerked me out of my expectations for what that scene right. was going to be, and then I felt like that the rest of the movie. So it was a really good setup for the movie in that way. Um, the other thing about that scene is that. Uh, this is just a rumor at the moment, but Ryan Johnson said, um, I have a bad feeling about this is in the movie somewhere. And there's no one who actually says it. So people are thinking that that's something BB eight says when he's talking to Poe in that scene, mm. which I think that would be a cool little subtle nod. Um, but the other thing with the bomber run, I want to talk about that I thought was a really cool decision was to make those bombers like world war two bombers, because that gets back to the original dog fights and the original inspiration that George Lucas had doing the X-Wing and TIE fighter fights in A New Hope. So that was cool. It just the fact that they tied it all back to like that World War II. Like it, and the thing is, Star Wars physics, like, right, the bombs fall. They're falling in space. I mean, I can hand wave it away a bunch of ways, but yeah, it, it, it they fall because they should fall because it's what looks cool. It's it's Star Wars physics. Um, yeah, I mean, people complain about physics in this and I'm like, they have laser swords and magic and bombs falling is really where you draw the line yeah uh okay we talked about the kid at the end a little bit earlier already i I did want to ask you about yoda did yoda work for you because this was another one that the first watch i was very like i don't know what i think about that and then the second time i watched it i was like nope it worked i liked it i loved it okay i i I, and this is where they're messing with us again where as a as a creative unit they are messing with us because initially i didn't know if i was gonna like it you see him and the cgi looks kind of funky and when he stopped being so glowy and cgi like i found out later like oh he's a puppet that's awesome that they used they used the original molds for the yoda puppet to make this one that this is yoda that anyone who complains about this not being yoda or feeling yet like yoda or he shouldn't be there whatever it's like this is literally yoda it is just not made out of latex that is deteriorating well that if like somebody that complains about back the puppet, to yoda being kind of a troll like yes he was, you know like it he wasn't like that in the prequels and i think they lost something like you know jumpy slashy lightsaber yoda was I don't know if that was the right decision for the character. And to see him back in this mode of Yoda really worked for me on the second time I saw it. Yeah, I just loved him. Like, I'm so glad that they had him and that he was acting like Yoda at the end, like you said. Cool. Um, So I wanted to talk about throne room lightsaber fight because right. 
I loved it. I thought that that was probably one of the best lightsaber fights that they've ever choreographed in this series. I I agree with that. I think that they finally found the middle ground between the lightsaber fights of the original trilogy and the lightsaber fights of the prequels. Because right. the original trilogy, everything kind of felt like it had weight, like it was grounded in reality, but a little too much. If you go back and watch them now, they're a little too slow, a little too basic. It doesn't feel like they're using the Force in the way that we know the Force can be used now. Um, right. Whereas if you go to the prequels, it's over-choreographed. It's a dance. Yes. It's not a fight. It's just like a dance, you know? And that fits the tone of those prequels because that's kind of that level of opulence and uh, almost over-exaggerated glamour that went along with the Jedi then. And I think they've done a great a great 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 deal of of work on making it not feel like that because like you see kylo you and there was a a really good featurette that i saw on this early a preview featurette talking about how he has this kind of brawling style that you see in this like he is not a trained fighter like he is big and lumbering and you feel the weight on on him and you feel the grace with ray that she is not a not this dance but she knows what she's doing in fighting uh but it is very very lithe but yes. not uh, not a dance yeah, I mean, it was just choreographed enough, but it was enough. It, it had like some rawness to it that was really yeah. missing in all of the prequels, which I love those lightsaber fights for what they are. Don't get me wrong. But it oh, also yeah. feels like they finally found what the lightsaber fighting can be going forward. And it just it worked. It totally worked for me. I love that whole scene. And I mean, speaking of lightsaber fights and and making sure that it feels like the old stuff too. That when Luke pulled his lightsaber out in front of all the walkers and he and Kylo were fighting, he held it like Luke did in Return of the Jedi. Like oh, that's he cool. fought I didn't catch like that. Luke. Like he didn't move around. It wasn't you know Mark Hamill like dancing around. I mean, he did the Matrix bend over backwards thing, but I mean, of course he would. It's it's he's a Jedi and master, and he does all this now, but. But like, okay, I want to talk about that scene in a second. Okay, but but right after the throne room scene, I'm trying to kind of go in order here. Um, sure. Right after that throne room scene, we get the jump to light speed from the cruiser, the self sacrifice of the admiral, and that shot of what it did to the whole fleet. I think that is one of the best shots in all of Star Wars. Yes, absolutely. I was so impressed. Like I. I I don't think Jennifer or uh, Adam, who I saw it with, like appreciated it as much as I did because it was like they they teased us with that in The Force Awakens with the Rathtar kind of disintegrating in front of the Falcon. And then this, they're like, OK, we're going to we're going to show you what this really looks like now. And with it, just how massive of destruction that is. And like, I mean, it's. Like, the light and the dark contrasting in that scene. It was beautiful. Pl plus the cut to silence. Like, that is probably the best shot in all of Star Wars. I don't know how they're going to top that. They might, eventually. But for my money, like, that is the shot of this, the whole series at this point. And then I know there's another thing in here that... I don't know where it really fit, but, like, the two perspectives of Luke and Ben's conflict. Like, this is my favorite 
this is my absolute favorite uh, thing about the movie that okay. of anything else that you see the it goes and it goes to that having uh, uh, the light and dark not really being a right and a wrong is that you see both Ben and Luke's perspective of the night that Luke tries to uh, confront him yes. that they have this conflict you, and you see both sides of it from their memories and neither of them are wrong that both of them you see literally two perspectives of the same event and there's not a right or a wrong one ben saw what he saw and he was absolutely right luke explained what he did and why and it was absolutely right and that neither of them made the wrong decision at that moment like they did this is what i was talking about earlier that luke put the lightsaber away and he he was impulsive and and he changed his mind but it still didn't stop him from appearing like a monster to Ben. And those two scenes, like being put together, made everything about this movie work for me. Yeah, I mean, I liked that it it was three. It was three scenes because they show Luke's perspective and then uh, Ben's perspective. And then they show kind of like the real what happened, even though both of them were correct before also. Right. I don't yeah. even remember the third one, honestly. You'll, okay, on rewatch, you'll you'll notice it, especially if it was one of okay. your favorites on the first time you watched. Um, okay, so let's talk about like Luke versus the First Order because I know <laughs> you started to talk about it and I interrupted you, but that right. whole uh, scene together, there's a lot going on there. Yes, there's to- there's so much going on there that seeing it again is only going to help. Yeah, I mean, like him walking out and confronting. Here, okay, here's one of the examples of the way they mess with your expectations. I was expecting that Luke was going to walk out and just destroy all the walkers somehow with the force, yes, right? Me too. I thought he was going to come out and be like, I am a, a Jedi master. I can just destroy all this and take care of it. That is what probably would have happened in a JJ Abrams movie. That's not at all what happens. He's a force ghost. No. He's not that. Well, he's not a ghost. He's a force, force projection, you know? He's not there. And so the whole thing, and the thing is, like, there are so many hints to it if you know where you're looking, especially on the second viewing. Um, The first time I saw it, the only thing I really caught was his age. His age wasn't right. Yeah, his hair was, he had cut his hair and beard, and he looked like like he did in the visions in in the flashbacks. Yeah, but then he has the wrong lightsaber because he has yes. Anakin's lightsaber. He has the one that Rey, you know, was in possession of for, well, she's the latest possessor of it. He also doesn't leave any footprints, which is something I didn't catch until the second viewing. And I didn't there, catch that until someone pointed it out to me, that I, yeah. that was something I didn't even see. There are a couple different shots of his feet and Kylo's feet. And if you don't know to look for it, you probably won't see it. But if you do look for it, it's there. Like, he doesn't leave footprints there. And that was really cool. And then the other thing is, like, the way that he confronts Kylo is he doesn't touch him. Like, he's purposefully avoiding him and drawing it out because he's a projection and he's hiding it. Like, it just, it twisted so many of my expectations. I really, I had an interesting emotional arc with that scene. Because I, as he walked out, I thought, okay, here we go. He's going to destroy everything, and we're going to go back to typical Star Wars crazy plan. One person is special. They win. And then by the end of the scene where we actually ended up, I was like, yes, good. I am so glad that happened the way it happened. And the only thing that I really wish had been different there is I wanted to see those two fight for real. That I wanted to have a full lightsaber fight between Kylo and Luke. And I understand why they didn't do that. But at the same time, it's that that is the fanboy in me wanting to see it. Because what was there, I loved and just wanted to see it expanded. 
And I wanted to see Luke, and I did. I wanted to see Luke destroy them somehow with the Force. Like you said, that's what I expected. And the reason was because of the scenes with Vader in Rebels. Because of how they showed how much power, more powerful he was than everyone else around him, that would have been that kind of moment for Luke to show how much he had grown with the control of the Force. Like, I would have loved to have seen that kind of thing. But, I mean, the Force Ghost itself is, is indication of that. I mean, it's indicative of that as well. Yeah, it's that's what they want you to think. Like, that's what it yep. would be in any other Star Wars movie. That's what would have happened. And it didn't. And nope. that's good. That's a good thing. And I'm okay thing. with that. Yeah, it's Like, good. it's his Obi-Wan moment. And it, it really works because of that, you know? Um, the other thing is, after that, when Luke dies, like, Luke's death scene... It, it worked for me. Like, I, I thought it was good. Yep. Uh, but the main part of it that really struck me was the twin sons as he's dying. Like, one yep. of those last shots where you actually get the twin sons. So he gets to go out of the series the same way that he came into the series. That and that part really, really worked. Oh, it worked so well. Just everything about that scene. Like, I expected him to die after all that. When they showed him uh, that he was gone and it, and it flashed back to Anchto or however you pronounce it, I was very aware he was about to die. And then whenever he didn't and he just kind of collapsed and did that, I was like, OK, what's going on? And then when he like he showed the sons and he was like, looked at peace, I was like, oh, OK, they're they're doing this the right way then. Like, this is appropriate. This is how you do it. OK, cool. So that gets us to the section that I called random catch-all. These are things that didn't really fit into the above structure. <laughs> I, love, I, do. I love that. So we can probably go quicker with this stuff. You want to talk about humor, but we kind of already did. You want that any was, other yeah. thoughts? When you brought it up before, that was what I wanted to ask you about because I didn't know if that was going to work for you at all. So oh, yeah. we talked yeah. about that one. Yeah. Okay. Um. BB-8 on the ATST. That this part... Uh, that was dumb. Like I don't Did know. You? Oh no! Oh, I was so see. And when it before it showed, like the ATSD started shooting, it was like beep 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 beep. I leaned over to Jennifer. I was like, "Oh, please tell me that that's just BB-8 in there by himself that he took over a, a walk or two. And then it popped off, and it was just BB-8. And like I screamed in the theater. I was like, "Yes!" And uh, I was that guy. Like okay. it made me so happy. Well, okay, so that part. I, I like that part. It was the second or third time it sh he shows up and he's just he, he's always in the background shooting it and then like jump on. Do you need a ride? And he's just like running through the flames. That's the part where it was like, OK, we've OK. See, we've I can see that part. No, I, I like the initial part where it revealed okay. that he was the one shooting. That part really worked. I, I like that. OK, OK, cool. Um, Luke seeing R2. That was this was. Uh, I mean, you put it on here. Go ahead. Talk about it. it. It was that may have been the most emotional part of the entire movie. And I think it was Jennifer actually who pointed out that that's like the one time that you see Luke truly happy that the entire rest of the movie. He's being old man Luke, that he's he's doing his uh, I'm too old for this. Leave me alone, kids. I love everything. And then or I hate everything. I'm I'm resigned to my fate. But he sees R2 and he is legitimately and truly happy. And you see that same look on his face that you see on, on Luke's face in the original trilogy. And that's something that I just, that, that when we were talking about it again, it's like, yeah, that was just so heartwarming to see how happy he was to see R2-D2. Yeah, no, I like that. Especially the Obi-Wan Kenobi projection. Like that part yes. was pretty cool. I like that throwback. That's, that's when I knew he was going to die too. Yep, yep. I was like, um, yep, they're killing in this movie. I liked the evil BB-8 droids, which I have seen online that people are starting to call it the BB-8, which I think is great. <laughs> it's like BB-9E. BB 
What's up? I know, but I mean, people are calling it the BBH. BBHade is funny. That that yeah. that that, that would have been funny if that was a, a real like official name. That would have been way better. Um, the Gorilla Walkers were pretty cool. I don't know if I have any other thoughts about them except yeah, that that's... I liked them. Yeah, the uh, the Kyber Crystal in the Broken Lightsaber. So <laughs> you I get want to see talk... it. I know you get to see it. I want to talk about this. So when Anakin's lightsaber is broken and Ray retrieves the pieces, like you can see at the end when she's holding it, that the Kyber Crystal, which if you aren't up on Star Wars lore, the Kyber Crystal is what lets it actually like do its lightsaber thing. It's not the power source, but it's what it focuses it through. Yeah. How do you say it? I mean, it's like it's connected to the Force, it, and it lets a lightsaber be a lightsaber. Yeah, I mean that's that's really what it is. It's hard to get into, but yeah, it's the. It, it focuses the force into it that keep yeah 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 that's that's the easiest way to put it but i mean that lightsaber anakin's lightsaber has been through a lot you know it, it's another sign that they're breaking the old series and passing it on and that like the forces for everyone it's not just for skywalkers like everything that has come before in this unbroken legacy of this lightsaber is shattered yep and i i was disappointed in one way that I didn't speaking of lightsabers here this all ties into my mind where I was sad that we didn't see Ray with a double bladed lightsaber that that was kind of where I expected this movie to go with her training with Luke and having built her own lightsaber and done all of this but and incorporated Anakin's saber into it but I think that might actually be happening more likely to happen in episode 9 because she now has two halves of it yeah I uh, think that's where we're going because she had the staff that exactly essentially a double bladed lightsaber like in a lot of ways i I hope that shows up in nine too i think that would be a really good fit for the character i'm also i'm also glad that you're not the only like i'm not the only one who noticed that there was you just saw the crystal inside the lightsaber there and just nerded out just like i can see his lightsaber crystal oh yeah i was like kyber crystal i didn't say that in the theater because that's not the kind of person i am but i said it in my mind very loudly i'm the kind of person who says that in the theater i was i'm like yeah see yeah You wrote Jedi books exclamation point, and I don't know what that means. Uh, that it's that at the end of the movie, the Jedi books are in the Millennium oh, Falcon. Yeah, that yeah. that Ray took them, and that Yoda like is burning down the Force tree, and uh, Luke's like, "No, what did you do?" And he's like, "There's nothing in those books that Ray doesn't already possess." And it's like, "It's because she stole the books. Like she literally possesses that." I kind of don't like it. I kind of don't what? like it. No. Yeah, um, I liked that Yoda was burning down the old legacy of the Jedi. Like it doesn't work anymore. You know, um, they tried it. They tried it multiple times. It failed every time because it's it's too stuck in the old ways. So I liked that he was burning it down and like giving everything space so that Rey can be a Jedi, but she can be a completely new Jedi with a blank slate. She doesn't have to follow any of the old rules or traditions. She doesn't even have them for reference. She has to find the way on her own, and the Jedi can evolve into something new. But now that she has those books, that's not true. So I was actually let down that those books are there. See, and I like them, and I'm I'm curious on how they're going to be incorporated into the, into it because she may she may do the opposite of what you're saying and see how they're not applicable to what she wants to do with her life and how she approaches it and discard them. Okay, yeah, I mean that I'd be fine with that. I, I kind of hope that it happens. Let, it let Yoda be even more of a troll, so and be very uh, very uh, unclear from a certain point of view. 
Nothing yes. that Ray doesn't already possess. <laughs> um, so another thought I had was that the third movie here would have been Carrie Fisher's. Like the first yeah. one is Harrison Ford. The second one is Mark Hamill. It's it's them passing the torch, right, to the new generation. Yep. They set up episode nine to be Carrie Fisher's. She was going to pass on. They already said on, it was going to be. Yeah, like she would have passed on um, the leadership of the rebellion, you know, and they, something, if they would have done something good with it, I know they would have. And now they can't. Oh, yeah. And I'm just sad that we get to miss out on that story now. It's and they good. said that, and J.J. Abrams has already said that he's not going to use any archive footage of Carrie to do it either, to try to play out the story that they were going to tell. So, you know, you would put it down a little bit later, but it ties in here that I'm with you that I think that episode nine is going to have to be after a time jump and that they're going to kill Leia off screen from us. Yeah, that, I think uh, it, it has to be. Well, the other yep. thing with Carrie Fisher in this movie was she made me care about the ship battles, like in a way that it's not that I never cared about ship battles. I always loved them as like they're really cool. They're ship battles. But this is the first time that I actually felt bad as the pilots were dying, like yeah. her facial expressions and the couple shots that were wordless of just her looking at like the status display and seeing how many starfighters had been wiped out like yeah. that had an impact on me in a way that no other Star Wars ship battle ever has. It hit me like Battlestar Galactica did, where they have the whiteboard of the number of people in humanity that they keep counting down on that's such a downer. That's what it felt like in this for me, whenever you saw Leia's face and when they were talking about how this was all that's left of the Rebellion, it felt like that really, really terrible moment in Battlestar Galactica where they, where you just constantly, you know that everything is going to go poorly for these people yeah now i agree um it she was really good I, i'm just sad that we don't get to see her in nine which is sad yeah. um i i also kind of like and i had a couple thoughts here that all go together but this movie is kind of like empire and return of the jedi together smashed up and hmm. remixed but then everything thrown on its head in a way that like we talked about failure right and yeah. bad plans of the heroes don't work anymore like i, I like that right in all of the past movies, someone could have a stupid plan that had a one in a million shot of working and it would work. Now, if it has a one in a million shot of working, it's just not going to work. And that's pretty cool. I like that change. And, and it only with, started here. I mean, yeah. in Force Awakens, we had those that worked. I mean, Han stopped his ship at a fraction, like going through a fractional refresh rate on his shield at light speed. I mean... That's a bad plan, and well, he would have died. Star Killer Base like destruction plan too. Yeah, it, it's the same the same bad plan that they've always used, and the, I, I'm I love like you said that they just don't work anymore. Yeah, and like those things lead me to believe that J.J. Abrams couldn't have made this movie. Like this movie would mm. be nowhere near what it is if he had made it. But and, that being said, I think he's perfectly suited to like wrap up the trilogy. Now that yeah. it's queued up for him, now that he kicked it off, he could prove that they redid Star Wars. He's been overseeing the trilogy as executive producer, and Ryan Johnson had done so much in this movie that I think J.J. Abrams can wrap it up. I think he can do yes. a really good job. 
but he could not have made this middle movie the way that it ended up being. No, I don't think he could have. And I'm a huge J.J. Abrams fan. Like, I I really like J.J. Abrams. And I don't think he could have done this because he doesn't have that, he doesn't have that style. His really is, and I don't even want to say it's an over-the-top style, but it's almost grandiose when he does things. And that's great for beginning and ending. But these kind of middle ones need a far more gritty, realistic, humanistic kind of feel and that's what ryan johnson does best and it's why i'm really excited that they've already given him a trilogy of his own despite the fact that everyone like there's that one section on the internet that is petitioning this to be removed from canon i think his trilogy is going to be awesome i do too i mean and like what we were talking about i mean it's it's weird that this movie was seconds after the force awakens yeah. right like that has never happened in a star wars movie before seven goes immediately into eight there is no pause in between Mm-mm. but i fully expect that there's going to be a time jump between eight and nine just like there was between every other movie in the saga series yep. it feels like there has to be doesn't it yeah i think there has to be i think for no other reason than leia like i yeah. said i mean i don't as much as i don't want them to kill leia off screen i would much rather have them kill leia off screen than than do some sort of really hokey like tarkin-esque like, i just don't want to see it i want them to do it right and that's the way that you do it right you let it be oh no i think the only thing that bothers me about that is that i know that they're gonna have to kill her because they've killed the other two of them I know. That, that's the only part that bothers me is that they're killing them off rather than writing them off. And uh, I mean, Han Solo had to die because Harrison Ford wanted Han Solo to die. But I mean, with Luke, I don't think that he had to necessarily die. He could have just gone off and lived as a hermit somewhere again. And the same for Leia is just like, I want them to be able to live their lives. They don't have to be killed. But I think at this point with two out of three, I think they have to kill Leia. Yeah, I think they have to follow through and finish that up. Um, I also wanted to mention, I think Rey is a gray Jedi, and I see you have an argument here, (laughs) but... Oh, yeah. go ahead. No, state your point, because I have some thoughts around it. Well, because I, I know exactly, well, I don't know exactly what you're going to say, but I know where you're coming from on it. But because of the themes that they've put out, like, she is the point of light. Like, I don't know necessarily if they're going to to let her use the dark side, if that makes any sense. Like, I see a gray Jedi as someone who actually makes use of both sides of the force using you know the anger as, as well as the the hope and i'm not sure if they're gonna let her use that like a real great jedi would because she represents so much of pure light like they've said in this one so i disagree i don't think it, uh, see i put gray jedi i didn't put gray forced user and i i think i was picking my terms here but maybe not maybe it was a subconscious thing she isn't afraid to explore the dark and she's mad like if you watch her in the fights that she's in she's not calm she's not serene in a way that all of the like traditional jedi have been Mm. she gets like fired up she gets angry especially in the force awakens but you can see it in a bunch of scenes in the last jedi too um not even the fight scenes they're just scenes where she's just angry with other people like kylo mostly but it's there and it's part of her and she explores it i mean she's not afraid to go into the dark she doesn't like she goes and she you know does it on her own when luke tells her not to and she doesn't try to overcome it she just experiences it and then takes it back and thinks about it and in the end yeah she's basically choosing light 
but she's not afraid to explore the dark. Whereas in the past, all of the other people were like so scared of it. It was such a knee jerk, like, no, the dark is bad. We can't look at that. You can't ever do that. That's bad, bad, bad. She is not like that. So I think of her as like a gray force user that chooses to be light for the most part. Okay. But it doesn't mean, do you know what I mean? Like what yeah, I'm getting at? I do. I could totally see that. I mean, and they try that with Luke and they didn't have the, the film was honestly too young at that point to be able to get that across to Luke Skywalker because they moved in a lot of the EU to how he was so tempted by the dark and all of this. And with Ray, we figured out now how to tell a story with that much uh, subtlety and nuance. Yeah. And uh, I guess another thing with like, going back to Luke is you mentioned that Mark Hamill's like voice acting really affected like how he is now. This is the only movie that I like Luke Skywalker that Jennifer has a joke saying that I hate all main characters. And it's generally because the way I put it is like Harry Potter's a wiener. It's like, I don't like main characters when they're, they're kind of, uh, that, 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 hokey kind of character and Luke Skywalker was always just that Mary Sue for me and like Mark Hamill was never a good actor and then like when he started doing the voice acting he got so much more range to where this one makes me really appreciate him like he brought it like Jennifer put it that like Mark Hamill brought it and he feels exactly like Luke Skywalker should have as a grown man which I honestly didn't know if he would be able to pull off because of how much I didn't like Luke in the original movies that's a rousing endorsement that's pretty impressive that you felt that way and you got turned around on it yeah like he is i'm sad that i'm not going to get to see him do that more yeah yeah I, which I, is i hope he comes back as a force ghost solely because i want to see him be that luke again i think he will because of the nature of his death i think mm-hmm. he he will like there's no body like he right. disappeared just like obi-wan you know like he he's probably and just like yoda like he'll yoda, probably yeah. come back as a force ghost i see that happening yeah um, I'm, I'm hoping uh, so <laughs> nice a new hope um I guess a couple, <laughs> I just got to stick it in there. Um, so a couple last thoughts as we're wrapping up here is there's something to be said for like the comfort food of a narrative you already basically know versus something new, right? Right. And this gets back to what I was talking about with like the MCU and how I feel like it's kind of getting stale and I don't go see them anymore. And I was afraid that was going to happen to Star Wars and that this movie finally gets around to touching on some parts of the extended universe that I used to love and all of those kind of things. So I know we kind of talked about this up front, but a friend compared this to a forest fire where this movie burns down what we know and it makes room for new growth to come after it. And I I would say it even kind of starts that new growth during the course of it, but just it sets the stage for so much. And the overriding takeaway for me is that the force is finally for everyone. And you see, that's not, I see that and that's not where... I see it going as I see like, yeah, I think that's going to be a big part of it. But for me, my takeaway is about the is more about the decisions that we make that I see it being like we have to weigh our decisions and be okay with and owning our decisions. I guess that's kind of what I took from it. I I agree with that, too. I I still think that it's getting to some deeper things about the force that I think it will. Yeah. And I, I guess my final thought here is that like I after this movie i am honestly more interested in ryan johnson's new trilogy than i am in episode nine which is really which is really weird it's really weird for me to say that and i think it gets back to like 
I felt like there were two movies worth of content here. Like, I feel like I have my trilogy in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Like, yeah, I'll take another one. I will watch episode nine and I'll probably enjoy it extremely. But I don't think I need it. I think that this could have been the end. It could have been a duology. And then we could have moved on to other things. And I still would have been fine with it. I would have been happy with where this leaves off. I don't think I would have because I care too much about Ray and Finn that I want to know where they go, where I think there's just enough left off at the end of this that I need to know where their life goes a little bit further. Well, like, because they're still in that learning phase. Same for Ben. I want to know where he goes. So I guess my reaction to that is that instead of having an episode nine that tries to pick up this story and like finish it off, I want them to just like start a new trilogy in five or 10 years and pick up mm. there because i agree with you like there's more story to be told with these characters i don't want to be done with these characters but i feel like between the force awakens and the last jedi i got the arc that i needed and i'm i'm ready for there to be a break here i'm ready for them to start mm. a new line of thought in a couple years which nine is probably going to do that anyway so right i'm not really worried about it but it's just one of those feelings where it's like if i could right now like have episode nine in my hands or have Ryan Johnson's first movie of the new trilogy, I would take that one. Hmm. Wow. That's that's high praise. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. Do you have any other thoughts to finish up Star Wars? Ah, uh, I can't wait to see it again to see the stuff that I missed. Like, I feel like there were a lot of points in this one that I either didn't have, I was either fanboying out, you know, a new Star Wars movie, or I wasn't really, like, into, like... I want to know and feel more about Benicio del Toro's character. Like DJ, the the they never call him a slicer. Is something else. Like they've moved away from that from the old uh, old EU. Like they actually call him a code breaker. And he talks about hacking. Like they don't call him a slicer anymore. And so I'm like, oh, but that's probably I my last thought. Did I thought they? it was in. I don't know. Because he said he was going to slice through something. That's what I but, was thinking. But like slice of. it. Yeah. But he did. They never. They always refer to him as a code breaker. Like I know they they had said that. Yeah. It wasn't direct, though. I was like, oh, it's kind of the same. Oh, okay. Um, well, we liked it. We liked it a we lot. We did, very much. Oh, I have I have a question for you. Okay. Is this your favorite piece of media of the year? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Mine too. I mean, outside of video games? Yes, mine yeah. too. Just Yeah, I really do. Like, I've, I've thought about that too, because our upcoming... Is it upcoming now? Yes, it is, it is upcoming. upcoming. Uh, our upcoming one is telling you guys that and i do i think this is this is going to win the year for me after all yeah you especially will find as out... i see it more than more than once yes yes we will talk about it in our episode in two weeks where we talk about the best of the rest that's not video games for 2017 i'm sure it will come up i'm positive i'm 100 percent positive 100 sure it will be there Yes. Okay, you can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. We're on Slack too, so go to slack.geek2geekcast.com for your invite. And remember, we're part of a podcast network like we mentioned earlier. You can go to geek2geekcast.com to see if any of our shows tickle your fancy. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's, and I blog at geekfitness.net. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. <laughs> Geek to 
Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of The Comic Box, part of the geek to geek podcast network. So join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we're the hosts of the podcast, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture. We try to have a female perspective on things, but we really just talk about anything we like. What are some recent topics we've done, Katie? Uh, Well, we've talked about girl power songs, Wonder Woman, Veronica Mars, young adult fiction novels, San Diego Comic Con, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice is and download our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and start listening today. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan, and I'm a geek. And if you're currently listening to this, there's a good chance you're a geek too. So check out my podcast, Geektitude. Each week, I talk with somebody about their geek aptitude. Sometimes I talk to people in a geeky profession. Sometimes it's someone doing something really cool with their geekiness. Often it's another geeky podcaster. But it's always someone who wants to share their inner geek. So join me each week as we come together to geek out about all the geeky stuff we love. And remember, this week, keep it geek. <laughs>